بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمده ونصلی علی رسوله الکریم اما بعد الحمدللہ tonight is the 14th of January in the year 2023 and alhamdulillah we moved on to the 26th night that we're going through the illustrious and blessed life of the eminent companion Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu on the last two sessions I've mentioned a short biography of the blessed companion Sayyidina Jarir ibn Abdullah al-Bajali radiyallahu so just to add a few other details before moving on Amir al-Mu'mineen Sayyidina Umar radiyallahu he had famously remarked about the immense physical beauty of this noble man. Jarir radiyallahu is the Yusuf alayhi salatu wasalam of this nation. Jarir radiyallahu is the Yusuf alayhi salatu wasalam of this nation. This is in Al-Bidayah in the chapter on the 51st year after the Hijrah. So what does that mean? So what do we know about Yusuf alayhi salatu wasalam? In Sayyid Muslim, the Prophet wasalam, he said, Yusuf wasalam, was given half of all beauty. He was renowned for his, for his uh, handsomeness. All the Prophets were handsome. But Yusuf wasalam, was given you know, more of this. And this is why in another report, the report mentions that in Al-Bidayah, that when they saw the image, remember the images of the Prophets, when they saw Yusuf his face was shining like the sun. The hadith mentions in Behaki and Al-Bidayah. So how is that related to Jarir? So we know he was handsome. So one simple explanation is, he is, he is like the Holy Prophet Yusuf But a deeper meaning could be that just as Yusuf went through some trials and tribulations, Jadir was also destined to go through this. Like I mentioned, you know, in, in the Khilafat of Sayyidina Ali, radiyallahu. And of course, maybe it's in reference to his great character as well. Whatever the case, immense praise by Amir al-Mu'mini. Sha'bi rahmatullah he relates. In Ibn Sa'ad and Istabaqat, Qanzal Omal, volume 2, page 151, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 3, page 525 of the New English Translation. Sayyidina Umar, radiyallahu was once in a room with Sayyidina Jarir ibn Abdullah radiyallahu amongst others when he smelled an odor i.e. from somebody who had passed wind. Umar radiyallahu thereupon said I order the person for this order to get up and perform wudu. Sayyidina Jarir radiyallahu responded O Amir al-Mu'mineen radiyallahu should everyone rather not now perform wudu i.e. so that the individual is not embarrassed Umar radiyallahu who praised him and said you were an excellent leader during jahiliyyah and you are also now an excellent guide in Islam subhanallah so what was Sayyidina Jalil doing he was shielding the Muslims and he gave a very interesting response. He goes, should we all do wudu? Meaning, the one who gets up is going to be single out, Amir al-Mumini. 
Another way to look at this is Umar knew this. He wanted to see anybody who had understanding. It was Jalil. And look at the response. In Jahiliyyah you were excellent. Meaning he was known in Jahiliyyah. And now in Islam you are an excellent guide referring to the hadith of the Prophet His humility can also be gauged from the following report. Sulaim ibn Abu Hudayr rahmatullahi said, I mended clothes by the door of Sayyidina Jarir ibn Abdullah Whenever he emerged from his dwelling and mounted his mule, he would take his slave along with him on the animal. This is in Tabarani, Al-Haytami in Majma Az-Zawaid, volume 9, page 373, comments upon the chain of narrators, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 4, page 122 of the New English Translation. So think about that. He was a chief. He was a companion. And if you look at this report, don't mention the name. You say that there's a person outside the dwelling of an individual and he's fixing clothes. And when the owner of the dwelling comes out, he shares his mule with his servant. Who am I talking about? And you think, well, he must be a, you know, a, a normal person. Lower down in the social standing. It's Sayyidina Jiri. So what does that tell you? He was very, very humble. He didn't like any pride. He had no air of pride. He wanted not to stick out as they say. With regards to his passing away, Sayyidina Hafiz ibn Katir, he said, in Al-Bidayah, in the chapter on the 51st year after the Hijrah, Sayyidina Jarir who was still residing in Al-Jazeera, the Arabian Peninsula, when he passed away in a place close to the Sanat mountains, the greatest mountain terrain within the Arab world during the 51st year of the Hijrah. I thus around halfway through Muawiyah's Khalifat. This is in Al-Bidayah in the chapter on the 51st year after the Hijrah. So he passed away after the Khilafat of Rashidin and 10 years into the Khilafat of Muawiyah. Where did he pass away? It was in the Jazeera. The Jazeera is the Arabian Peninsula, but in the area of the Sarad Mountains. He left behind his wife and five sons who were called Umar, Munvir, Ayyub, Ibrahim, and Ubaidullah. So he was blessed with sons. And Lord, he called one after the Prophet. He called one after Amir al-Mu'minin, Umar. And he mentioned, sorry, two, Ayyub, another Prophet. Munvir was a companion, and Ubaidullah. So Lord, he named his children after noble, noble personalities. So to reiterate, this angelic Yusuf of this nation, rightly guided heavenly prince, and one of the finest men from Yemen, could thus humbly serve the noble Ansar, including no other than the gallant Anas ibn Malik. <laughs> so think about that. What does that tell you about his humility? He was a chief. He was an immense companion of the Prophet and he had no heirs. Why? Because he had those beautiful qualities. So to reiterate, in Behaki Ibn Asakir, Baghawi, Hafiz Zahabi in Isir, Volume 3, Panzul Umal, Volume 7, page 136, Hayat Sahaba, Volume 2, page 49 of the New English Translation, Anas radiyallahu said, Sayyidina Jarir radiyallahu had served me greatly as we traveled together on a journey. Jarir radiyallahu would say, I have seen the Ansar radiyallahu ta'ala do great services to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
And I therefore now humbly serve every person from the Ansar. I see in turn. So he considered it a duty to serve the companions, especially the Ansar of the Prophet, because they served the Prophet May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be well pleased with him and forgive us all for his honorable sake. Amen. So note that report can only be appreciated if you know who Jarir is. And that's why I spent a bit of time on this great companion's life with Allah. So moving back to Sayyidina Anas, his blessed life, Allah. The next section entitled, Our beloved messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's priceless supplications for Anas, Allah. Sayyidina Anas, Allah, was indeed one of those few fortunate souls who had a whole itinerary of du'as from our beloved messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So what's interesting is you'll get some companions with one du'a, which is certainly enough from the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Some with a few, some you just get an avalanche. And Anas falls into that category, Allah. So for instance, so this narration is in Ahmad in his Musnad, volume 3, page 108, Sahih to the criteria of Bukhari and Muslim with a prestigious short chain. Bukhari in his Sahih, number 1982, and Mishkat, number 2077, relates an identical but shorter narration. Imam Ahmad Rahmatullah he relates from Ibn Abi Adi Rahmatullah who relates from Humayd Rahmatullah who relates from Anas Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam visited Umm Sulaim and she offered him some dates and ghee however as he was fasting he said put your dates and ghee back in their respective containers he then went to the corner of the dwelling and offered a two rakat salat, and we offered the salat with him. He thereupon supplicated for Umm Salim and invoked good on her and her family. Umm Salim thereupon said, Ya Rasulullah, verily I have a special request. The Prophet asked, Mahi, what is this? She responded, supplicate for your servant, Anas. The Holy Prophet thereupon did not leave out any good in the hereafter or in the world, but he supplicated to grant it to me. Then he supplicated, Allahumma rizukhu malan wa walada. O oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, give him wealth and children and bless them for him. Thus, there was no one amongst the Ansar who was wealthier than I am. Anas then mentioned that he did not possess any gold or silver apart from his silver ring, but he owned other kinds of property. He also mentioned that his eldest daughter, Umayna, had informed him that more than 120 of his children had been buried when Al-Hajjaj came to Basra. Mm-hmm. So let's look at this. So this is an absolutely flawless report to the criteria of Bukhari and Muslim. So note again, the Prophet has gone to the blessed dwelling, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Umm Salim gives some dates and ghee, which is interesting. You know, it's, it's a sunnah, right? I don't know how you eat that, but that's what the Prophet, he didn't twitch it because he was fasting. And then he prayed a two-rakat prayer. They prayed behind him. 
And then he made a dua for Umm Sulaim and invoked goodness for her family. So up to this point, he's doing it himself. The Prophet wasn't asked, make a dua for me, make a dua. He did it himself. So then Umm Sulaim requested. Now think about this. The dua's already been made. The hadith mentions he invoked good upon her and her family. So she said, I have a special request. So the Prophet asked what? He goes, supplicate for your servant Anas. Now look how touching that is. She didn't say my son. She could have said my son Anas. She goes, your servant. And Anas didn't mention the dua. All he said was everything. So what does that mean? So if I said, what is everything in this world that you need? He made dua for him. What is everything in the Akhirat? So we know the basics, the grave, day of judgment, bridge of Salat, accounts, everything. That wasn't enough. Because the hadith continues. It was everything. Then the Prophet made another dua. Allahumma rzukhu malan wa walada. Oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, give him wealth and children and bless them for him. Why? Because wealth and children are a blessing. People think, oh, give me children and wealth next minute, he's lost everything. Because bless the meaning, bless the wealth, bless the children. Karun had wealth, was it a blessing for him? Walid ibn Mughira had children, was it a blessing for him? So bless them, give it to him and bless them. And then what did he say? He just said very something very simple. Because I was the most wealthiest of the Ansar. Then he said, uh, a subnarrator added, he didn't have gold and silver. So then a person goes, oh, he's the wealthiest. He had everything else, not gold and silver. Then his oldest daughter, Omeina, she had to tell her father that 120 of your children have been buried when Hajjaj came to Basra. So which father, think about this, has seen 120 of his children buried? Can you think of anybody? Right? You think about how is that even possible? You could say, oh, it's his grandson, it's still his children. So, if they were the ones he buried, Hamid <laughs> was still alive. And look what she said, this is before Hajjaj came. In other words, it wasn't to do with tyranny. This was just like death that occurred. Question, why isn't he dying? There's a reason. In another report, Anas himself said, my daughter Amina, Rahmatullah informed me that 129 of my children were buried up to the time when Al-Hajjaj became the governor of Basra. This is recorded by Hafiz Zahbi in his seer, volume 3, page 399. So there's no contradiction. He was starting up. <laughs> so, you know, one day, 120 buried. Maybe a few months, years later, now it's 129 of my children buried. Others said it. So what's the reward for losing a child? You know what's interesting about these reports? You should tell it to people who've lost their children. <laughs> Imagine somebody loses, you know, mashallah, one of the brothers lost two of his daughters very quickly. Has anybody told him, Anas lost 120? <laughs> so as soon as you hear that, you're thinking, he goes, that's another level. He goes, I'm, you know, going through this and this is two. And this is Anas. Now, dying, somebody goes, well, they're blessed. The Prophet made a dua for their blessed to bless them. What greater blessing can children give than paradise? This is why Umar bin Abdul Aziz said when his son died, he goes, Today I am the most pleased with you. 
Why? Because through this, inshallah, I will get paradise. What greater blessing can you get from your children? What is it to do with name and fame? He's become a doctor and he got really happy over it. Subhanallah, these were the ones who had passed away. Those only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone knows how many were still alive at the time. Now what's interesting? Why is his daughter telling him about his children? It should be the other way around. So, the, uh, <laughs> would it be fair to say he lost count? <laughs> Imagine somebody goes to you, you don't love your children, you. Astaghfirullah, why? You don't even know how many died. <laughs> if you heard that conversation, you think, well, I don't know, what, what's this conversation taking place? This is a joke, no, it's serious. <laughs> 120, 129 now. <laughs> In another report, Hafiz Abu Bakr Ahmad ibn Ibrahim al-Jurjani al-Ismaili rahmatullahi in his al-Mu'jam 1-491 Hafiz Abdul Aziz al-Dihnawi in his Bustan al-Muhadithin the Garden of Hadith Scholars page 187 of the English translation Asim al-Ahwal rahmatullahi he said we visited Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu to console him for the death of a son we said to him Ya Abu Hamza we hope for bliss for him. He replied, Indeed, more than that, for I have heard Rasulullah say, Sallallahu death is expiation for every believer. So let's look at this. So he's lost a son. People come to pay their respects. And what did they say to him? Oh, father of Hamza. Don't forget, that was the title the Prophet gave him when he ate that vegetable. We hope for bliss for him. Meaning, inshallah, this is good. He said more. It was more than bliss. Because I have heard Rasulullah say, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, death is expiation for every believer. What does that mean? Meaning that the pangs of death are the last things for which a Muslim is personally purified for. Thus, it being a final purification. By the grace and mercy of Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I think about that. Humud bin Abdul Aziz, rahmatullahi he said, I would not like to die an easy death. So he goes, why? He goes, it's the last thing that you will be purified for. So when you're going through the agonies of death, that's the last. Imagine, it's going now. Your opportunities are going. You're not going to have to rely upon handouts. All about handouts when you die. Unless you've done intelligent things, invested. People are more invested in stocks and shares, right? So you're dying. This is the last thing you personally are going to get purified for. You don't know. So Umar bin Abdul Aziz says, I don't want an easy death. Meaning he didn't pray for it. You don't say, yeah, give me a hard death. He says, I want that. I want, in other words, I want that final purification. So Anas, he related that from the Prophet. Death is expiation, meaning Allah Ta'ala will forgive all your sins. There won't be a second more of your agony if he wants to forgive you. So imagine you're dying. You get people, you know, you don't want to mention, well, I don't think anything wrong with mentioning it. You get some people with prolonged death pangs. <laughs> For instance, you get people, they get bedridden. You know, like Ahmad Didat, I think seven, eight years, he was, he was bedridden. He had a stroke. And it was basically, you know, he couldn't even leave the bed. Seven, eight years he lived. So a person goes, well, what's going on there? Purification. Because once you start doing dawat, you need to get purified. And he didn't even give fatwa. That's what made me, you know, 
Shandai Shiva down my spine. He just talked about Christianity being a false religion. Eight years and Allah purified him. If not raising his ranks. Other people die. You know, oh, he had a peaceful death. And then you are, you think, Astaghfirullah, I hope he's, you know, is that really a good thing? Look at the Prophet Was it an easy passing? Right, somebody goes, hey, that's true. As an Aisha goes, I do not envy anybody's pain upon death after seeing the prophets. Mm. Why was the prophet going through? He was sinless anyway, to do with his maqam. And he's going through severe pain. He actually put his hand into the water. He goes, the death pangs are severe. But we understand why. So now, if you have got 50 years of sins and you haven't done anything, you need a whack before you die. Allah gives it if he's kind. But if he wants to take you with sins, he won't give it to you. So note, look how touching. He's lost his son. They were saying, inshallah, good. He goes, more. Meaning he, inshallah, Allah will give him what the Prophet has mentioned. And also, of course, I will be patient. And paradise will be mine. So what's touching is they're consoling him. And you get the reversal. <laughs> he's actually telling them, mashallah. Death is expiation for the believer. You know, what a comforting hadith. And just to finish, the Prophet ﷺ, he said, sudden death is a disaster. This is in Abu Dawood, authentic hadith. Now you understand why. Why? Because where was the purification? But then the Prophet added in Razin and Mishkat, except for the believer. So you think, Alhamdulillah. So even if a person, a believer, a Muslim, dies suddenly, you can't say, there's no purification. Except for the believer, meaning Allah has probably already purified him. He doesn't need it. And notice, this is again the kindness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. With regards to the unbelievers, in Sayyid Muslim, Imam Ahmad Musnad, Anas reports the hadith from the Prophet He said, when an unbeliever is dying, Allah gives him the rewards of all his good deeds. And even his death is made easy due to it. Then when he dies, he's got nothing. So when you see non-Muslims dying peacefully, shaitan plays with ignorant people. He whispers it to your heart. He died peacefully. And the Prophet died through agony, doubts. And you respond by saying, He's a non-Muslim. Allah Ta'ala has took away the pangs because that's part of the rewards for his good deeds. He's going to have nothing when he meets his Lord. But then the Prophet said, But the Muslim, Allah Ta'ala rewards him for his good deeds in this world and the next. Subhanallah. So when you're doing good deeds, Allah Ta'ala actually gives you something in dunya for your good deeds. That's his kindness for the Muslim. And then he still gives you in the next. So Lord is all how to understand how Allah Ta'ala interacts with his servants. And Anas explained it here. So what I mentioned today was I wrapped up the very short uh, biography on the great companion Sayyidina Jarir ibn Abdullah al-Bajali. And then I now began the subsection with regards to the priceless du'as that our beloved messenger made for Anas. Are there any questions? 